Podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission to rehash geeky topics, to seek out new bastions of nerdiness, to timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings, and welcome to the Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of thehammerstrikes.com. I'm your host, Gene Hendricks, and before we get to the subject of today's episode, I have three pieces of listener feedback to go over. All three are emails, and the first one comes from Mr. Ryan Daly of many fine shows over on Fire and Water Network, including Give Me Those Star Wars, which is appropriate since he's writing in about episode 21. In fact, he titles his email, episode 21, Obi-Wan Rodriguez. I'm Gene Hammerstriker, and I'm here to rescue you. Regrettably, I haven't kept nearly as current on the Hammer podcast as I should, but I heard you did a recent episode on the Skywalker family saga, and I just had to check it out. Your discussion with Scott Ripon was outstanding, from your shared and differing personal histories with Star Wars to the odd but always interesting digressions about Yoda's mental health and the popularity of names on Tatooine. Everything about this episode was a delight to listen to. Seriously, this might have been the most enjoyable Star Wars-themed podcast I've heard all year. I host a Star Wars podcast! Alright, I'll put that on pause right there, and... I have to say, that is fairly high praise, because I listen to Give Me Those Star Wars, I listen to Dead Botham Spies, which was Ryan's show before that, and excellent stuff. Ryan really knows what he's talking about, he has his own distinct point of view, which is great. He just doesn't like everything or hate everything. He likes certain things, doesn't like other things, and can explain why. So if you are not listening to that show, I suggest that you do. Anyway, back to the email. One part of your conversation with Scott that demanded my commentary, whether Luke Skywalker made the right decision in leaving Dagobah to save Han and Leia on Cloud City. I guess the simplified defense of Luke's action is that since everything eventually worked out right, meaning by the end of Return of the Jedi, Luke made the right call. He needed to confront Darth Vader on Cloud City in order to learn the truth and force Vader's betrayal of the Emperor. You could even bolster that argument with the evidence that the Force compelled Luke to abandon Obi-Wan and Yoda because they were too ingrained in the old-school mentality that brought about the fall of the Jedi and the rise of the Dark Side. However, there's another element of Luke's decision that I had to address. Ewan Scott asserted that without Luke's intervention, or rather without the presence of R2-D2, Leia, Chewie, Lando, and C-3PO would have been captured fleeing Bespin. I'm not so sure of that. Before they board the Millennium Falcon, Lando gets on the PA and orders an evacuation of Cloud City. Even though the limits of technology, time, and most likely budget made it impossible to show that, I had always inferred that Lando did that in part so that the Falcon could escape in the crowd. The Star Destroyer would easily pick off one ship flying to escape. But if suddenly a thousand ships flew away at the same time, the Imperials wouldn't know who to target. It'd be like Harrison Ford slipping into the St. Patrick's Day Parade during The Fugitive. It would at least give Chewbacca enough time to fix the hyperdrive on his own. It's only when Leia orders the Falcon back to Cloud City to save Luke that the TIE Fighters spot the Falcon and chase them into range of the Star Destroyer. So I think it's entirely possible that Leia would have escaped, whether Luke abandoned his training or not. Anyway, thanks for a great listen, Ryan. Well, as I responded to Ryan in email, I try and respond via email, to all emails I get. As I told him there, I love his fugitive analogy. That makes a whole lot of sense. However, 
they wouldn't have escaped on the Falcon because they would not have time to open the door. If you remember in The Empire Strikes Back, the door to the landing pad is locked, and the only reason they get that open is because of R2-D2. But the stormtroopers are right there, firing on them as R2 opens the door. So I love Ryan's scenario, but I would switch it a little bit in that Han, Leia, Chewie, and 3PO would escape on somebody else's ship. And since they would have to escape on someone else's ship, I'm going to say that they escaped on Wilro Hood's ship, because I just love Wilro Hood. Our next email comes from Ruth Sutherland of the great Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenophobic Xenophiles podcasts, along with her husband, Darren. Now, this, this is a little weird, because this is essentially feedback from my show as a response to feedback I gave for their show, <laughs> because they recently covered a uh, Thor and Loki adventure in uh, Jotunheim, which was actually, it was in comic book form, but it took a lot from the actual lore, which I thought was excellent. Anyway, Ruth writes, I listened to episodes 3 and 13 of The Hammer Strikes today. I really enjoyed hearing how you first discovered different legends and myths. I only know a little about Norse mythology and really appreciate the background and overviews of key myths that you shared. It was also interesting to learn the importance of family as well as other values promoted by the culture. Ruth. Well, thank you very much, Ruth. Episode 3 was rather brief, and I hope that everyone will forgive me because I was still learning what I was doing. And at that point, I hadn't settled on my mythology template, which is cover three myths and talk about them, uh, explain you know, modern interpretations, etc., etc. So I hadn't hit on that yet, so it was kind of, I just needed to get something out there. It was in my head, but not fully formed. And But I'm hoping it works as a good primer for people anyway. And it does give you a little bit of background on you know, how I discovered the Norse myths and King Arthur and all that. On to our last email. This one is from Mr. Tom Panarese, he of Pop Culture Affidavit and In Country, which covers the Marvel comic series The Nom. And subject of his email is many episodes, some thoughts. And he writes, Gene, this email is a long time coming. Way too long, in fact. Over the last few months, I've gone back and listened to all of your episodes and have really been enjoying the show. I like how you cover topics that I find incredibly interesting, as well as things that I'm completely unfamiliar with, yet you make me interested in them. It's a mark of a good podcast. Now, we'll put that on hold because that is essentially my reaction to Tom's Pop Culture Affidavit podcast. We're more or less the same type of show uh, where we talk about whatever we want. It's, it's kind of a, a potpourri of geekiness, really, between the two of us. And we have our own approaches, but I, I love Tom's show. If, if We on Two True Freaks have a, a triumvirate of shows like this, and that would be Pop Culture Up David, The Hammer Podcast, and Palace of Glittering Delights. They're essentially scattershot of geek, and it's from three distinct points of view, which I find fascinating. Anyway, back to the email. A couple of comments going all the way back to your very first episode which is when you and Scott Gardner talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture. All right, put that back on pause. That wasn't... I talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture in my first episode, but Scott wasn't on until later that year. But I will forgive you for the oversight, Tom, because you listened to all of them. Anyway, back to the email. This is a movie that I never loved, but never hated either. At least, not in the way that I really dislike Star Trek V. Right around the time I first listened to your episode, my sister gave me the Blu-ray box set of the original crew films, which 1 through 6. 
and after listening to you guys talk, I decided to watch it. I've come to believe that this is an underrated movie. Yes, it is slow in places, but it's not any slower than the pace of Close Encounters of the Third Kind or the first third of Aliens, both of which were contemporaries. Furthermore, after only having a pan-and-scan VHS copy of the film to watch for years, I finally had the chance to see Star Trek Motion Picture in widescreen, and it was kind of a revelation, especially when it came to the size and scope of V'ger, as well as the awesome special effects, which hold up really well. Your episode really brought to light what I hadn't thought about the film, especially since my first exposure to Trek was The Voyage Home, followed by Wrath of Khan and The Search for Spock. Alright, we'll put that on pause because that's where you end with Star Trek. Yeah, I can see where someone coming into it from The Voyage Home would see the motion picture as a little odd. It's not it's not anywhere near the same type of movie, but I'm I'm really, really glad that you watched it again with an open mind, Tom, and that because that's all we want. Whether you watched it again with an open mind and didn't like it, like Chris Franklin. Or, if you watched it like you did and have a new appreciation of it. I didn't care which, as long as you watched it again. Although I am supremely gratified that you do have a new appreciation of the movie. Anyway, on with email. Ditto for Excalibur. Prior to your episode, I don't think I'd seen the unedited version of the movie. It had aired on WPIX numerous times. I remember seeing it as a kid. But I rented the DVD and gave it my first real watch after listening to you talk about it. It's an ambitious movie. The entire Day Arthur in a couple of hours? Really? And that does show. Parts of it have not aged well. The armor and combat might be spot on, but some of the hair and makeup are distinctly from the early 1980s. Still, other parts have aged very well. The acting, the pacing, the fight scenes, Helen Mirren. So thanks for getting me to revisit two worthwhile films, and thanks for putting out some great episodes. I can't wait to hear what you have coming up next. All the best, Tom. Oh, thank you very much, Tom. Yeah, Excalibur, it does have some stuff that kind of screams 1980 in it, but I think that the rest of it, and like you said, the scope is just amazing, and the fact that it got pulled off as well as it did still floors me. The fact that they could do this entire arc from before Arthur was born to his, his death and or slumber, depends on how you want to look at it, and being taken to Avalon is just amazing. But I've gushed about that enough with Luke Jack and Eddie earlier this year, so we won't go on with that. But again, thank you very much, Tom and Ruth and Ryan, for writing in. I really appreciate the feedback. And now we'll take a quick break and plug three shows that may have something to do with these emails. I don't know. And then we'll be back with the subject of today's episode. See you on the other side. Star Wars, give me those stars. I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. 
I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? <sighs> I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... <clears throat> including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode, on Give Me Those Star Wars. The official Star Wars show of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at trekkertalk.com. Movies, TV, comics, music, pop culture affidavit has it all. It's everything random in the world of popular culture, and it's all covered by me, Tom Panneries. New episodes drop monthly at twotruefreaks.com, and be sure to check out blog posts about random pop culture topics at popcultureaffidavit.com. Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork. Welcome back. And for the second month in a row, I have a returning guest with me. Uh, this one is back after some critical acclaim of our Muppets episode, and that will be my wife, Michelle. Hello. And we're going to be talking about, as I have been talking about all year, uh, generational stuff. And this is going to be between Henry Jones Sr. and Henry Jones Jr., as exemplified in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, in order to prepare for this, we just watched the movie. And while we were watching the movie, we recorded a commentary for it. <laughs> so if you want to find that, along with not just us, but also Kira chiming in and the dogs barking at someone that came to the door, you can find that on patreon.com slash thehammerstrikes. And that is available for the highest level of donor. So if uh, you really want to hear that and you are... An incredibly generous person, then you can head on over to there, make a pledge, and then you'll have access to it. But that's enough of that. <laughs> uh, in The Last Crusade, we are introduced to Sean Connery, who plays Henry Jones Sr., and something that we noted in the movie is that he is the typical academic professor, right down to the bow tie. Absolutely. And his son is anything but. In fact, his son tends to not wear much by way of ties, except in the most inappropriate moments. Right. 
except during this movie, King kept pointing out that he had the tie on constantly. During the motorcycle chase. During the and motorcycle chase. And it was really weird because he was dripping in mud, yet he had a tie on. In his leather outfit. I mean, it's one thing when he's in the suit, but when he's in his leather gear and he's wearing a tie, it just looks And odd. the fedora. Yes. Now, we find out in this, not only is Indy's name Henry Jones Jr., but he has this kind of contentious relationship with his father. He hates being called Jr., even as an adult. Probably, I think that's half the reason his father does it. It's just the middle him about it. I agree. Now, how do you think the relationship goes? I mean, it's, is their relationship any different at the end of the movie than it is at the beginning? I think their relationship is better. Better, not perfect. Better, not perfect. Because I, I think that when he crashes through the window... <laughs> and he gets hit in the head with the fake vase. <laughs> Henry is thoroughly confused and delighted to see his son there to save him. And I, yes. I put save in quotes. You know, in, in uh, you know, finger squinting quotes. Yes, uh, as Luke Jackney calls it, air quotes up to the mic. Air quotes up to the mic. Yes, exactly. Because, you know... Henry Jones has never been saved before. He's never been in danger before. That's as, true. as far as we know, he is a pure researcher. Right. He's gone and found all these pieces of art, as you see in his house. Right. And riddles and everything that he then copies into his Grail diary. Right. But and he's never been, you know, held hostage by the Nazis before. He's never been an adventurer like his son right. has. He, he isn't the kind of guy that went out to find the antiquities, although, and this is something that's probably more information in, like, novels and comic right. books and things like that, it makes you wonder why he's in Utah in 1912. Right. You know, why Utah? Is, is it purely for the research? And why would Grail stuff be in Utah, of it, all places? Who knows? Uh, maybe the Mormons had it. Um, maybe. Maybe it was just a simple going there to find himself. That's possible. I mean, the, the whole thing that they say is, is that their relationship broke down, more or less, when Indy's mother died. Right. And then they, more or less, became estranged. Right. Well, I always find interesting men, relationships between men, because men don't talk a lot. Women talk, it seems. Ad nauseum? Ad nauseum. And we seem to talk, you talk a lot for a man. You do realize that my hobby is talking into a microphone. I know. I kind of have to talk a lot. I know, but it's it's weird for, for a man to talk. Most men don't talk. <sighs> Most men grunt and, and point and, you know, sports good, talking bad. <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting when we go to Florida and hang around with all, the, all my geeky friends around there that <laughs> you think I talk a lot. I know. I'm, I'm quiet by comparison. I know, I know. But, um, well, you've met Scott. I know. Gardner, that is. Yes. But um, I'm currently reading a book about male relationships written by a woman. and That's just confusing. It, but she she had a lot of fun. Yeah. It's it's still... It, but she got to see the male point of view through a mother's eyes. Yeah. But that still means they hid stuff from her. Of course. Of course they hid stuff mm. from her. They're boys. They mm. were her sons. Of yeah. course they hid stuff from her. Every child hides stuff from their mother. Hmm. Now, <laughs> well, why would I? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but in the movie, we see Henry 
when I say Henry, I'm going to mean senior. When I say Andy, exactly. I'm going to mean junior. Of course. Just, just to get that out of the way. But <laughs> we see Henry, he disapproves of a lot of the stuff Indy does. Of course. Including saving his life. Of course. And I don't know if that's because he's from... Because at this point, it's 1938. And Henry is... Let, let's say he's 60 years old. So that means that he he was born in the latter half of the 19th century. So at that point, he probably had a very traditional upbringing. Yeah. So I'm wondering if all this running around and riding motorcycles and you know using a flagpole to joust with a, a Nazi, if that's just so far outside of his... <laughs> realm of experience that he just, he looks down his nose at like you you should be back at school and teaching classes well i don't think indy really is i don't think it's really part of indy's experience either i think he's kind of flying by the seat of his pants yeah but he has at least experience with fighting yes you look at what happened in temple of doom and raiders and obviously what occurred when he was obsessed with the cross of coronado and all this stuff. I mean, he's run in, He's had run-ins with Belloc. He's met Sala a number of times. So Indy has been out in the field. He, yeah. may, he may not have been fighting Nazis constantly. Right. And there's nothing wrong with fighting Nazis. <laughs> nothing wrong at all with fighting Nazis. But he, he may have just been out in the field rather than, I think his father was more stuck in his nose in a book. Doing the the research, book he, learning versus right because you you book smarts versus street smarts. So I would say his father is more of a historian versus versus an archaeologist. Yeah. He's more of the the theory and less of the practice. And so you have the two opposites in that case. So it, it's kind of hard for them to to meet eye to eye. Although when Indy is not all there, like when he. First, when he gets hit over the head with a vase, or when he's recovering from climbing up the cliff after jumping off the tank, he falls into this. Right. Well, well, yeah. Is uh, when we first see Henry, and he says, "Junior," and Indy <laughs> stands up and says, "Yes, sir." Just that's his automatic response. That's what he's and been he trained. Starts spewing Latin verbs. Yeah. And... So it's. It's almost like their relationship never got out of that, the one that we see in the very beginning. Yes. Where Henry's off doing his thing, and he expects Indy to mind his father and, you know, do exactly what I say, you know, count in Greek, which... But I, I agree, it, it hasn't, the relationship has improved by the end of the movie. But I oh. also think a lot of that not... A lot of that not maturing has to do with not communicating. Right. I mean, the whole reason my mother and I, our relationship has matured is because we communicate constantly. Mm. And we see each other as equals now. And I've frozen my sister at Kira's age. <laughs> her, her sister who will turn 30 later this year. <laughs> um, because that's the last time I communicated with her. I think that's the last time anyone communicated with Well, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, you know, so, but, you know, I've frozen her at that age. Right, and that's what Henry has done to Indy. He's frozen at that age. That was the last time 
he felt he could communicate with him. He's frozen him at River Phoenix. He's, he's frozen <laughs> at that age because he felt that was the last time he could communicate with him and feel like he got through to him. But if you go by the conversation on the Zeppelin, though, even at that age they weren't communicating. They didn't really ever talk even before his mother died. And then after his mother died, Henry was just the grail, and that's it, and Indy was just there. Indy was just kind of like... He was around, and Henry would, you know, take care of him to a point. Right. But the whole thing that Henry was saying in in that conversation is, you know, I never told you to do your chores or clean your room or any of that because I was teaching you to be independent. Well, you can teach a kid to swim by throwing him in the deep end of the pool, but they have an equal chance of drowning. Right. <laughs> so exactly. It happened to work out in this case. Right. Which all the better for Henry, because then he could concentrate on what he was doing. But Antiquities. <laughs> yeah. I think that at the by the end of the movie, Henry may not fully respect his son, because, I mean, his son wants to be called after a dog. <laughs> Have a lot of fond memories of that dog. <laughs> <laughs> but he at least now understands what Indy does. Yeah, better. He, he knows that there are these things out there that are that's happening that Indy is dealing with that Henry isn't. Henry is, Henry is the guy that would not go out of his window during office hours. Right. Of course, Henry would also not have an office with a boiler in it. Of course, because Henry <laughs> was a respected member of the staff. Right. <laughs> so it, it's an interesting relationship. It's not one I'm familiar with in my own life because my dad and I get along. In fact, unlike Indy and Henry, my dad and I are too much alike to the point where we are as hard-headed as each other. So it makes for interesting conversations every now and again. My father and I have no spine. How do you sit up? Oh, it's it's difficult. <laughs> and I need some of my mother occasionally to mm. help me spine up. Right. And it's it's difficult because... It's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. That's just the way it is. Now... It's the way things are. Did you watch any of the young Indiana Jones television no, series? No, I watched one or two episodes and completely forgot. I, I was the same way. I caught it occasionally, but if my if memory serves, that was on in the 80s, correct? That was not a 90s show. That was on in the 80s. I remember it being a late 80s, early 90s show. Because... Last Crusade was a late 80s movie, so I I wonder how much, if we went back to watch it, and any listener out there that knows, definitely write in and tell me, but I'm wondering how much of that Henry Indy dynamic was in that show. investigated in that, or whether it was just Indy out in the wild. Yeah, I I seem to remember, because there were two, if you remember, two ages. Mm -hmm. You had young kid Indy. Mm -hmm. And then you had Teenager in. Right. The Teenager one, I think, was just, he was just off on his own doing stuff, meeting right. like Sigmund Freud and you know, all these famous people. <laughs> Whereas the young kid, I don't remember his parents being in it. I don't really either. I don't remember there being a parental role. Like, you know how in a lot of these shows... They'd say, oh, well, of course, you know, my teenager made the right decision, and of course, I'm going to go with my teenager's decision in the future, because my teenager makes the right decisions no matter what. Ha! 
you know, and, and I, I mean, you know, my parents never would have said that to me because they were there to help me decide, you know, what was right and wrong. That's kind of the point of being a parent, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why we have parents, you know, to, to, to help you make the right decision when you're like a crazy kid hmm. and, and you want to go to the mall when you have a, you know, a, a biology test and, and, you know. Yeah, you want, you want to goof off, but your parents aim you in the proper direction, and hopefully you do what you're supposed to do. And you're going to get me in biology, but, you know, you have to stay home and study and, you know, and, and all that. <laughs> so, I would like to see if this, re if the father-son relationship was explored somewhere else. I know there's a lot of backstory out there. I listen to Indiana Jones and characters, so yes, I know there's more stuff out there. I just don't know where this particular relationship has been explored. Is it are in there, novels? Is it there, on TV shows? Are there novels? Is there TV shows? Comic books? What, exactly. Whatever. Uh, I would I would really like to to find out because it's an interesting relationship in that it's not perfect at all. No, it's it's quite broken. It's it's a realistic relationship for a family that had a trauma like that. Exactly, that had such an important family. But eventually, they do sort of work it out. But unfortunately, by the time we get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he seems to have worked through his well, problem with women. Well, no. By the time we get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Henry is dead. Right. So you don't get that anywhere. I, I, I would love to see Connery come back in, like, an old age home or something. I know. Like, ha you finally worked through your trouble with women. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well... Well, he is drawn to strong women. How do you explain Billy, then? Well, oh, the, the blonde? Yeah, the one from Temple of the Oh, Doom. Temple of Doom. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but, I mean, Marion Ravenwood, she, she was definitely... Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no question about that. But then again, she was also the best one out of all of them. And that's that's why, you know, they, they shared a son. The best, the least amount said about Mutt, the better. Yes. <laughs> Just because you don't like the character, the person who played him. No, I don't. He did a good job playing a 50s greaser. Yes. I had no problem with that. I My problem was with the whole bit surrounding the character. Oh, okay. About how Marion never told him who yeah, his father was. That's true. And the, the, that whole mess. It was, just, it was just a little too yes. soap opera y for yeah, me. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't think Marion would have looked like that either. Mm. Although I find it interesting in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, since we are talking about generational stuff, yeah. that Indy falls into the father role. Absolutely. Very easily. Very easily. And even before he knows the kid's his son, he just falls into, no, no, no. You're calm not down. Do that. This is how we're going to handle it. <laughs> just listen to me. <laughs> but, of course, this is a kid who's, you know, in his 20s already, isn't going to listen to right. some, old, some old dude that he just met. Of course. Who he doesn't even know. So we actually we see kind of the reverse then. Of course. Because Indy has become, at, he's still out... He has become his father. But he's, he's still out doing stuff because he had his whole career as an operative for right. the CIA or the OSI or whatever. Exactly. Whatever you want to call it that got ended up getting to the, the beginning of Crystal Skull. And Wonderful he, Kate Blanchett. <laughs> but he's more in academia 
than he has been before, simply because he's aging out of the man of action exactly. stuff. And then you have this kid coming in who just wants to jump in feet first, and he's exactly. no, calm down. <laughs> Let's think about this first. Let's, you know, investigate first. Right. So it's an interesting dynamic there, which another reason I would have liked to see Connery in that movie. So you have three generations yes. interacting, with Indy at that point being the middleman, being the guy that's straddling the academic and the adventure stuff. Yes. That would, it probably would have made it a, a bit better, probably more palatable to most audiences, because yeah. almost everyone I hear doesn't like the movie. I had no problem with it myself. I... It took me a while to like it, but mm. after a while, it, I had to chew it over for a while. Yeah, I actually, in the theater, when I came to the realization that, oh, they're doing sci-fi now, I was fine with it. Because they, they jumped time periods in popular culture. Yes. As they went from being the pulps, adventure, man of adventure, out in the jungle, in the wilderness, exploring stuff, exactly. to dealing with aliens. Exactly. And that's just that's just the way things went. Exactly, exactly. So back to Henry and Indy. Back to Henry and Indy. I think that, you know, I think that it was just, you know, history playing itself over again. Yeah, and it, it would have been interesting to see after that if Henry went out into the field a little more. Because yeah. he had achieved his goal. His whole life's goal was <laughs> to find the grail. He found it. I know. Now what? Now what, Exactly. Well, the sun found the Ark. Maybe they can join up and go get, go for the Spear of Destiny this time. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, get before Hitler does, so the Superman can actually come in and beat him. There's yeah. crossing the streams oh, for you, man. people. <laughs> man alive. Yeah, that is really... That's a real, uh, you know, that's a real, a real twist. No, just listen to Tales of the Justice Society of America and you'll get what I'm talking about. So, you have anything more on this? Not really. Okay. Well, then we will sign off here. And remember, if you want to write in, just go uh, gene at thehammerstrikes.com. We are on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash thehammerstrikes. You can find the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Blueberry, which is something that gets it on the Roku boxes, on twotruefreaks.com, all kinds of places. Uh, <laughs> so just you know, search us out. No, you, why are you going to search this out? You found us. You're listening. <laughs> but if you want to leave feedback, you can email me. You can leave an iTunes review, a Stitcher review. Uh, whatever. Le leave a comment on the blog. Go to the Facebook page. Go to the Facebook group. Whatever you want to do, you can get in touch with me. And if there's anything you want me to talk about, let me know. I'm always interested in suggestions from the audience. But Bye. Yep. For now, we'll say goodbye. see you next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Hammer Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send an email to gene at thehammerstrikes.com. If you like what you've heard, please visit the Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash thehammerstrikes, and consider becoming a sponsor of the show. Please be sure to check out the Hammer Strikes on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube. The Hammer Podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.